Welcome to the Olefin's weekly wrap-up. Today is Friday, February 24th, and I'm your host, Luca Powell. And I am Pablo Giorgi. We have a slightly different structure to the podcast today, as it's a special focus episode. And also, there's only so many times that we can recycle the energy markets puns. Speaking of recycling, today we're joined by our Circular Plastics team to discuss the disruptive truths of plastics recycling. Today we're joined by our Circular Plastics gurus. Hi everyone, pleased to be here. I'm Tony Palmer. I work out of New York and head up our activities in circular plastics and sustainability. Hi everyone, Uh, I'm Robin Waters and I'm located on the East Coast in the state of Delaware, and I'm happy to join you today. Welcome to the podcast. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Before we get into our conversation, could you please tell us a little bit about the Circular Plastic Service here at Chemical Market Analytics? Sure, Luca. Um, The Circular Plastic Service is a relatively new service uh, offered by Chemical Market Analytics. It was launched um, in July of 2021, so we're about 18, 19, 20 months um, into the service. And the service is an outgrowth of work that Robin and I have been collaborating on going back to 2018, when we had two initial forays um, as strategic studies looking at circular plastics and plastics recycle, one done in 2018, and one done in 2020. Uh, Based on that, uh, we relaunched Circular Plastics as a ongoing service with an annual subscription. Uh, It focuses on the non-durable plastic segments covering uh, the value chains for polyolefins, polyethylene, polypropylene, PVC, polystyrene, EPS, and also PET. Um, The service is is very analytical, um, but strategic at the same point. We provide our clients with uh, databases, uh, models, uh, analytical tools, uh, as well as high-level strategic viewpoints, uh, much as what we're going to present to you today, which are some uh, truths that have come out of our work. Um, We deliver the material uh, through our service portal. Uh, aligned with overall CMA uh, clients. And the modules are uh, updated uh, on a frequency basis that that is relevant to the topic. So models that deal with costs are updated twice a year as we refresh our cost views, the same for demand. But others uh, are updated more frequently, monthly, uh, following technology developments and regulatory issues. Um, So that's a quick overview of the service. We're going to talk today about some interesting uh, strategic takeaways that that our clients are getting out of our work. Thank you, Tony. This was a very good view of the service. Could you explain a little bit to our listeners what, what is meant by a circular business model for plastics? Uh, Sure, Pablo. This is Robin. I'll take that one. Um, When we're talking about a circular model for plastics, we're really talking about transitioning away from uh, our past uh, linear uh, approach where we make, use, and dispose of products and packaging uh, using plastics. 
And we're really talking about moving to a, uh, a whole ecosystem in which we first minimize consumption of resources. We keep the resources uh, that we use in use as long as possible, extracting the maximum value from those resources while they're in use. And then we recover and regenerate valuable materials and products at the end of each service life. Uh, there's a prioritization here that's important to um, keep in mind, and, and those are some of the, uh, I would say, the description of a circular model that um, we use to build out our thoughts around the service itself. So 2020 saw 2.1 billion metric tons of municipal solid waste generated globally. On average, this waste contains 12% of plastics that were used in non-durable products, primarily packaging and other single-use applications. How do you think these stats will change in the long term? That's right, Luca. Um, as our study focuses on the non-durable applications, much of these non-durable plastics, such as food packaging um, uh, and other uh, single-use items, will wind up in the municipal solid waste stream. Um, our study goes out to the year 2050, so we are looking with a long-term strategic perspective. And in order to do that, one of the first things the service does is take a look at what we expect uh, the volume of, of this waste stream to be like, uh, and also to examine the geographic changes that, that we expect to see uh, as to where uh, plastic will show up globally uh, after it's uh, after it serves its useful life. So you're correct, um, about 2.1 billion tons of, of municipal solid waste uh, was uh, is produced. Not all of it, unfortunately, is collected. Uh, a good portion of it uh, globally uh, uh, enters the uh, the environment, you know, through through water. Uh, or, or possibly uh, disposed of in, in landfills, et cetera. Not all of it is recycled and recovered. Um, our modeling looks at population growth and a standard of living as a way to forecast uh, what this is what this source of plastics waste is likely to look like going forward. Um, and, and our model uh, takes uh, standard uh, uh, GDP growth rates, uh, looking at standard of living per capita and also general population trends globally. Our study covers 10 world regions. And the interesting thing is that we'll see this growth uh, expect to go from 2.1 up to 3.6 billion tons by the time we hit 2050. A lot of that growth is not going to show up uh, in waste collected or generated in North America, Europe, or even China. Uh, reason being that North America and Europe uh, have slow-growing populations and relatively stable standard of living GDP projections. Uh, China, again, large population, but, but stable, uh, but an increasing standard of living. So we will see some increase in, in the waste collected in China. But the vast majority of it is going to show up uh, outside of those regions in Southeast Asia, Africa, India. Uh, and that presents a, a real challenge from the perspective of collection. We really need to ramp up uh, collection rates, uh, efficiencies. Uh, and it also presents a, a challenge in terms of, of how to close the recycle loop, which is what the Circular Plastics uh, 2050 case looks like. 
And um, our conclusions are that um, uh, in addition to the need to increase these recycle rates and recovery rates, um, it also presents uh, a challenge as to how we, we view closing the balance. Uh, as you could imagine, uh, the solutions for uh, closing the loop are mechanical recycling of, of post-consumer waste, uh, chemical recycling, uh, and some other solutions. Um, unfortunately, the waste is going to be generated quite a distance from where the plastics is demand, uh, demand centers are. So production uh, of, of petrochemical plastics are you know, focused on North America, Europe, Mideast, um, China, um, but the waste is going to show up well outside of those regions. So we need to look at the logistics issues around whether we um, use chemical recycling pyrolysis uh, at a small modular uh, installation uh, in Asia and then move the pyrolysis oil uh, back to petrochemical centers where it be where it could be utilized in steam cracking, et cetera. So some some really interesting challenges. And, and as I said, our, our analytical approach is is pointing out some major strategic issues that need to be assessed. Wow. This is clearly a large-scale problem that requires large-scale solutions. Uh, Robin, what solutions are currently in place or in development, and uh, also very important, are they enough? We can certainly say they're not enough at this point. Um, the solutions that we have, th there are a tremendous amount of uh, exciting technologies and capabilities uh, throughout the whole recycling arena. I think what we're seeing is uh, a, a world in which, however, currently we're highly dependent on mechanical recycling. And as Tony uh, was pointing out very clearly, uh, we have huge level of discrepancy in terms of the collection in the first place of plastics waste in different parts of the world. So, uh, and our current um, pace that we're at right now um, is really the question, can we accelerate that pace of bringing new technologies, building out a new infrastructure, bringing in new technologies to complement mechanical recycling, and bring in things like dissolution, depolymerization, pyrolysis at large scale uh, in order to close the recycling capabilities that um, can't be fully achieved with mechanical recycling uh, alone. So I think it's really the pace at which um, change occurs. I would say having been in this industry for, for quite a while, it's different now. Uh, there's a different perception of drivers. Um, the issues around plastics waste are clearly acknowledged, and there are uh, huge sums of money being directed throughout the stakeholder chain at uh, accelerating this pace that we're we're on. Um, and And we're seeing really a restructuring, reformation of the industry. Uh, all the way from the waste management companies to integrated uh, petrochemical and resin producers uh, to the technology companies that are bringing uh, new chemical technologies to bear, uh, 
companies that are bringing new capabilities to mechanical recycling and design of um, um, assets that combine the best of all of these different options. So it's just a matter of accelerating the pace beyond the pace that we're on today, which frankly is not not quite sufficient um, to to get us to an endpoint where we can say we're really dealing with a, a circular model. But we are seeing real change, real restructuring. Um, expect to see a large amount of uh, integration on the part of uh, stakeholders. Uh, I would say in some areas, significant uh, industry consolidation as we look to scale up uh, the capabilities of the infrastructure to to uh, deal with this issue around plastics waste and the recycling of plastics. Well, thank you, Robin. Mm -hmm. So there's there's clearly you know a lot of issues regarding um, the supply and demand balance. How how is that that supply the currently meeting uh, the demand for for recycled plastics? Yeah, um, well, sort of building on the um, response from the previous question, um, the the supply right now is extremely limited um, compared to the demand. Um, the demand for recycled content in products and especially in packaging um, have reached very high levels. Um, brand owners have made commitments uh, there are uh, significant uh, new uh, legislation that's pointing to requirements for levels of recycled content, uh, both in Europe, North America, and elsewhere. Um, and there's other drivers that really are placing a huge demand on um, recycled plastics. And Currently, as I mentioned earlier, we're highly reliant on uh, what we refer to as PCR or mechanically recycled plastics from either consumer or commercial sources. And the demand is um, really centered on trying to find that PCR that can be used to displace the virgin material. And in many cases, the the volumes of PCR might be much higher than the volumes of the PCR with the appropriate quality and uh, traceability of, of content necessary to qualify for displacing virgin resin, especially in highly regulated areas such as uh, food packaging or pharma, things like that. So. Uh, it looks you know, when we're doing our modeling, we're going to continue to be in a very tight short supply market, particularly in those areas that um, are being driven by the desire to reduce our dependence on virgin polymer uh, while we are addressing the issue of plastics waste. Um, I would say that there are other incremental uses of plastics waste that will be um, that will be used to handle the volumes of plastics waste that can't be used in uh, highly regulated or other areas that um, or 
plastics that go into very demanding converting process uh, operations. Um, so we'll have incremental outlets that will grow uh, in things like uh, uh, modification for asphalt or synthetic construction, uh, plastic construction materials, that sort of thing. Um, and that'll provide an outlet uh, in many parts of the world where, especially as Tony was alluding to, there isn't a infrastructure to necessarily take the plastics waste and direct it efficiently back into existing um, facilities to produce um, plastic polymers or to use plastic in, uh, in converting processes. So those are a number of the things that are hampering the situation now. And I, you know, I go back to my earlier comment that uh, the pace of change um, is it's necessary to speed that up. So the move towards a circular plastic business model is obviously occurring within the context of the transition to a net zero carbon position for the energy industry. Given this and the rest of our discussion, what is the carbon footprint of chemical recycling processes? And does this align with the net zero goals? Great question, Luca. Um, yes, obviously, the uh, any work we do on, on trying to achieve a circular model for plastics is has got to be considered um, within the context of, of overall energy transition. Um, as, as plastics use continues to grow, um, recycling technology needs to develop, uh, particularly with an eye on, on the carbon footprint of the recycled processes. Uh, to really do this uh, analysis properly, you've got to uh, dive into true life cycle analyses, cradle to grave type assessments that uh, consider uh, not only the the manufacture of of, of plastics polymers and uh, but but actually their end products and and the comp competition that those end products have with conventional materials like glass paper metal etc. Um, our study looks at um, a feedstock to pellet analyses. Uh, so our we're drawing the envelope uh, uh, at that level. So our our assessments on carbon footprint start at the uh, ultimate hydrocarbon uh, and, and through the conversion processes to a, to a pellet. And then in our recycled technologies, taking the waste plastic uh, at the start and converting that into a mechanically recycled pellet or a true chemically recycled um, um, a product that's suitable for displacing virgin directly. Um, so all, all the work we've done is, is falling a bit short of a true life cycle analysis, but nonetheless, there are some, some interesting takeaways, uh, and all of it is done within the context of the overall energy transition. Uh, unfortunately, the work that we've done so far uh, indicates uh, that these two objectives uh, are at odds with each other. So uh, achieving a, a closed loop for plastics uh, really, in our view, uh, does have a, a negative impact on on carbon generation, um, and we need to do do more technology work and development work. The main uh, technologies that we look at as solution sets to close the loop are um, recovery as a uh, mechanically recycled PCR post consumer resin, 
That's one. In our view, that's the lowest um, capital operating cost and carbon footprint uh, way to 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 achieve maybe 25 to 30 percent uh, closure of the loop. Um, mechanical recycling has its limits in terms of product quality and degradation with with each cycle. Uh, but nonetheless, it, it can do a, a really good job at, at um, uh, maybe 25 to 30% of, of the way toward a circular model. We'll then look toward you know, harsher treatments, chemical recycling, via either pyrolysis or gasification. Uh, we have technologies under development for solution dissolution technologies. Um, and then we also have uh, substitution of fossil-based plastics with bio-based materials, materials that are either referred to as, let's say, green plastics or green polyethylene, typically made from biomass as a starting point, uh, whether it be uh, you know, waste biomass or uh, sugar-based uh, agricultural products that can be converted onto uh, bio-based plastics. Uh, and we're considering the footprint associated with each of these uh, solutions. But again, uh, right now, uh, our conclusion is, is that uh, the main workhorse, which, which we believe is going to be chemical recovery um, and, and, and regeneration of plastics via pyrolysis technology, uh, will have a, a negative uh, correlation to, to carbon, a penalty on carbon. So unfortunately, that's the solution that we're at right now. Uh, doing a lot more work on it. And again, it doesn't mean that uh, plastics don't fill, fit the bill as an, an overall excellent solution. You need to do a full life cycle analysis that takes into account competition with substitute materials, uh, the whole transportation uh, impact of heavier weight glass uh, as opposed to lightweight plastic for packaging, et cetera. So a very complicated topic, but I've given you a little bit of insight here. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. So, you know, we are currently in, in the midst of a you know sweeping and, and global movement to eliminate and, and not just reduce um, our use of uh, fossil based materials. Um, however, uh, you know, the base chemical industry is, is currently highly dependent on, on feedstocks derived from processing and refining of both um, crude oil and, and natural gas. Um, so, so, Robin, what, what do you think is the future for uh, fossil-based uh, feedstocks in this context? Uh, well, uh, I can speak to it from the perspective of, of plastics, and and when when we look at plastics, they really are a huge component, uh, roughly fifty percent of all base chemicals demand, uh, and when we look at the contribution that uh, from from recycling, what we've been talking about, mechanical recycling um, and, and other uh, dissolution, depolymerization, chemical recycling um, poly, uh, approaches, um, there's, a, there's a difference between managing and reprocessing our waste that we generate versus the output at the other end of those processes and what they contribute to displacing virgin resin uh, or in turn virgin fossil fuels. Um, we simply um, 
it, it's a little odd to think about, but we simply on an annual basis don't generate enough plastics trash to um, satisfy the total demand for plastics. And uh, if you think about the plastics waste that we generate, it's largely from non-durable applications such as packaging, uh, whereas the demand for plastics run across both durable and non-durable applications. Um, so in our modeling, to put it all together in our modeling, um, we see the potential uh, for uh, plastics recycling to contribute to the point where we plateau in our use of uh, fossil fuels to produce plastics and satisfy the demand for plastics. But even uh, our modeling out to 2050, even at that point, we're highly dependent on fossil fuels. Um, if you take into consideration the annual generation of plastics waste that occurs globally, and we're not counting the uh, impact of um, mining the accumulated plastics waste, uh, which may become a possible um, activity uh, in the future. Um, there's mining of, of waste materials for uses in other industries today, primarily from an energy standpoint. Um, but on an annual basis, we simply don't, um, we can't expect the recycling of plastics waste to be the total solution for reducing our dependence on fossil fuels. Other technologies and other things uh, would have to come in, come into play. Well, thank you both very much for joining us. You clearly have a breadth of knowledge on what is a crucial issue for not only our NALO and CMA listeners, but beyond. Join us in San Antonio at the AFPM International Petrochemical Conference from March 26th to 28th. Visit our hospitality suite, Salon D, at the Marriott River Centre Hotel and attend our chemical market seminar on March 26th from 1 to 3pm at Salon I, the same hotel. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a like or leave a review if you enjoy it. If you have any questions or if you would like us to cover something more specific, you can send us an email. Until next time, 